This is Owning Your Shit with Carson McKenna, a series in which I read from my journals. The series was recorded over a few weeks period in winter of 2022 and addresses various themes from friendship to panic disorder It really is a season of anxiety for me. I wonder what message it has. Last night, I went to dinner with Cody and Alexa. I agreed to have Alexa pick me up because, obviously, I don't drive. I was feeling oh so fine in a state of perfect homeostasis when the thought occurred to me, what if I get anxious from her picking me up? That's a lot of time in the car with her. We know that my number one biggest trigger is getting picked up in a car by a friend. Has been since the pandemic. Um, I have no idea why. Well, yes I do. Because I can't escape a car. Because getting picked up is such a normal, non-threatening thing, I feel like a freak for vocalizing my anxiety. If we were in a commonly agreed upon anxiety-inducing environment, like a plane or the subway, or a party mob with people, then I would be heard and empathized with, with no worry of being perceived as a freak. It's the presentation of total and utter normalcy that triggers me. The person scooping me is chatting about their quotidian life, complaining about construction, and I'm expected to engage as effortlessly and easy breezy as they are. But... Inside me, all my sirens are going off. It's a four-alarmer at the fire station. My adrenaline is sliding hotly through me like snake venom. By the time it hits my heart, I know that there's no redemption. I have to turn around and go home, or I die. My brain literally thinks that I'm dying. My heart feels fit to explode. A tiger that only I can see is chasing me. There is no time to talk to it to reason with it, to try to cuddle it, nuzzle it, and force it to see me through loving eyes that inspire mercy. So, last night I took half an Ativan before Alexa picked me up. I thought it would be enough. We rode over the winding serpentine highways to pick up Cody. He was his predictably churlish tourist self. When I laid on the horn, he stood in the driveway and scoffed, See, that makes me not want to go. He told us, through his white Invisalign smile, that he had been this close to canceling and staying in to watch a movie instead. He knows no he knows no other way of being but to be blunt. At Cortez, we were led to a deeply underwhelming table in the dining room. Cody and I would have normally requested a booth, but Alexa had forgotten to ask for one when she made our reservation. Since it was Halloween, I brought a three-pound bag of candy in my bag. I offered some to a neighboring table, who declined. I'm diabetic, said the guy. And then to the busboy, who accepted. Trick or treat, he said, opening his palms to receive my mini Hershey bars. Cody laughed because he loves my mischievous side, the part of me that sings sonnets to strangers. For a few minutes, I felt like everything would be okay after all.
Then our server came, a bespectacled young blonde named Katie. She was nice, as in she laughed at my jokes, but she took a long time to bring us our drinks and our salads. Cody, a server himself, was quick to dock her for punctuality. I felt my good humor slip into the murk of my niggling thoughts. It was only three days earlier that I had to get off a plane to Chicago right before takeoff. Now I felt again like I was in an airtight cabin with no escape. If I Ubered home right now, would my friends think me a freak? Would they talk about me the whole night? Would I be taken off the group text next week when dinner plans were proposed? Yes, yes, and yes. But the secret of being in such agony as the people in front of you ask you benign questions and silverware chatters and Billy Joel sings in the PA system only increases the horror. I want to scream. I want to scream out that I'm in danger to my friends. But an equal opponent to the terror, my socialized politeness, my plea to be societally accepted, tells this cry to heal. I listen. I fake it. I go to the bathroom, do MDR on myself, which has been incredibly helpful the last few months. You basically tap on both your shoulders while thinking about something uplifting and repeating a pattern of blinking three times. Usually I think of my nieces. EMDR calmed me down to the point where I can go back to the table. Then I said to myself, okay, we're doing this. We're finishing dinner. We're not calling an Uber. And we're not changing the dynamic of the night for everyone. There is a deep fear that I'll break my, freak my best friend out. Two weeks ago, when I was in the city, I was having a panic attack and I texted him asking him to reassure me that I was fine and that I could indeed breathe. He admitted later that he was annoyed to be asked to assure me over text when nothing could be done. I heard him, told him I appreciated his honesty and respected his boundaries, but it gave birth to a new fear in me that I could alienate him with my neuroses. I've always viewed him as my strong bull, my container, this curious being of pure practicality somehow, somehow fueled with radical acceptance of me, of all earthly madness. His mission is never to change people, but to accept that people are doing what comes naturally to them. His gift to the world is his acceptance and understanding. His gift to his friends is earthly stability and practicality. A wonderful antidote for my anxiety. How many times have you flown in a plane before? How many times have you sat at the dinner table before? Is what he'd say. My fear that I would gross him out isn't necessarily reasonable. It's similar to the other abstract, abject, insolvent, unsolvable fears that take turns dominating my mind. You're 34 and haven't found your true love. What if you never have kids? What if you never get an agent? What if you never sell more than 200 copies of your books and only within your hometown? What if, what if, what if? I call this high-voltage cloaking force NIA, which stands for nothing is all right. The solution to Nia's tum- tu- tumorous sock on my energy, suck on my energy, is to sure up what I want and take steps in that direction. No, I don't know who my children's father is, but I had some uplifting banter on Tinder today. And no, I don't have an agent, but I published another essay and got five more followers on Medium. 
Katie brought the check finally, after so much talking of the clock. When Alexa looked at the bill and saw she hadn't been given her half-off deal on the pizza, I wanted to cry. I had already gone to the bathroom three times. If only I could go sit in a noiseless corner and, and breathe by myself and not be responsible for holding up my 90 degrees of our triangle. I'm out of the office right now. Um, as we walked to the exit, the snake venom finally hit my heart. It had been rising, rising, rising like water on the Titanic. Now my heart was racing and nothing was okay. I had no future self. There was no version of me snuggled in bed an hour from now with my cat. I had no access to that version of myself. All I could think was, I can't get my heart to calm down. What if I need to go to the hospital? Seriously, what if I cannot calm down? What if? What if I'm going crazy? What if this is it? It's like having a Charlie horse in both your brain and your heart. Cody, I said to my best friend, I'm having a panic attack. Okay, he said in his no baloney way. His blue eyes serene and strong. That's what I loved about him, his normalcy. Armageddon could be happening and he'd shrug, letting it happen. So what can I do about it? Alexa was very compassionate. Do you want me to drop you off first? Yes, I all but screamed, because in the hallways of my body, an emergency was happening. All logistics, all logistics should be forwarded around that. We drove. I sat in the back doing EMDR on myself. I'm okay, right? I asked my friends. They assured me that I was. As I kept tapping, the snake venom in my heart lulled to a low tide. I stopped, thinking I was okay. It came thrusting back, bringing with it screams of hospital and heart failure. We arrived at my house, which looked storybook with the yellow leaves all around it. I needed to rake. My friends softly and tentatively said goodnight. I went inside. I'm picking up my cat, reaching for an episode of Allie McBeal. Within, within 15 minutes, the panic was completely vanquished. The only thing to fear was that I had freaked my friends out beyond the boundaries of normal friendship. And the old echo, whose rhetoric has neither solved nor solution, what if it happens again tomorrow? I've had anxiety since I was four. My whole family was anxious. They avoid overseas trips. They suffer from insomnia. They stay local, sticking to what they know. It's laughed about and it's considered endearing. But it's a detriment to all that I hope to accomplish. A bomb threat disrupting my exhilarating life itinerary. And it's emerging as more unignorable than ever before. I found it stressful. But now my curiosity is piqued. Maybe it's becoming so big that I'm finally forced to deal with it. Instead of faking 60% of myself, representing myself as fun and in the moment, while my inner resources tend to the choppy waters beneath my facade, we're finally going to deal with that with all 100% of me. Because I want to be the person I present myself to be. I want to be the heart-centered, trusting, compassionate person I am when I'm journaling. I want to be that person all day long. Anxiety and awful vanities that amount to nothing. Anxiety is an awful vanity that amounts to nothing. A whippersnapper worth of energy ignited and smashed. It includes no one outside myself. It's a tumor sucking my inner light and keeping me alone in hell, away from others. 
I don't want it anymore. 